The following podcast is brought to you by the Bridge Bible Church in Somerset, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit our website at thebridgewire.com. New Year. It's good to see you guys. As we're moving into the new year, uh, the first couple of messages that we're going to be looking at are just really focusing on, first, today, our relationship with God. What does that look like? What does your relationship going into this year look like? We're going to talk about the gospel uh, in some depth this morning. And we're also going to talk next week about our relationship with one another. We're going to look at one of the pillars of the bridge, which is relational. And you'll see how prayer and worship and relational, we're not going to talk about missions, this this go around. But those all intertwine, all four intertwine. But you'll see how prayer and worship and relational all intersect. So when we think about our Christian life, most of the times we kind of, divide it out. We kind of have our little boxes, our little categories, and we're like, I'm doing well here, I'm doing well here. But when we really look at what our life should look like, it's all intertwined. It's like what Solomon says, a a triple braided cord is not easily broken. It's us with the Spirit and with God and with each other, and it's all intertwined. And so this morning, I want to start by just, this is a passage you hear all the time when When you get into the new year, um, Proverbs 29, verse 18, it says, Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. And if you look in, uh, I think it's the King James or New King James, it says, Where there is no revelation, the people throw off restraint. The greatest prophetic vision, the greatest revelation is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the Son of Man who has come to rescue us, to save us. The greatest vision we could have is that of our Savior. And as we go into this year, that's what I want us to, to really focus in on, is, is on Christ. And so will you just take a moment and pray with me uh, so we get our hearts ready, and, and then we'll look at some scripture together and, and just be encouraged and be in awe of what Jesus has done. Father, as we start this new year, that song says it all. We need you. God, we need you now. In this moment, in this moment of our lives, there's so many different things, so many nuances. We need you in every part. So show us this morning a fresh vision of what you have done to rescue us, to transform us, to draw us to yourself, to to make us new, to give us new hearts, to make us children of God. And may we live out of that truth. So, Holy Spirit, come and awaken the awe that might have become a dull flicker of a flame after this year that we just had after a holiday 
full of so many activities and visits and things, we may just be exhausted. God, reignite that flame. May we have a fresh fire from heaven. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this, verses 20 and 21. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making, uh, uh, for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The phrase here, first, that I want to look at is be reconciled to God. There's a lot of different things going on in each of our lives. And if we know Christ as Savior, there's things that we need to be reconciled with. There's things where sin needs to be put off. But if we don't know Christ, the the greatest thing is to know Him, is to behold Him, is to be reconciled to God, to have our sins forgiven. So as we explore the gospel, that's where we need to start. We need to start when we were far from God, when we were separated, when sin had, had caused a divide. Um, one pastor that uh, I served with, he, he used this illustration. He said, you know, in the garden in the beginning, it was perfect, and man walked with God, and there was the two of them, and they were side by side, and they had relationship. But then when the fall happened, when sin entered in, there was a divide, a great wall that man could not get around, could not overcome. It was sin and death, and the relationship was broken. They, they could not have that relationship because of sin. Man needed to be reconciled. And only through Christ is that sin removed and relationship is restored. And so we need to talk about that first. When we think about where we're going in this next year, we need to just be in awe of what Jesus has done for us. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That phrase, children of wrath, that should just make you pause. Like, that's, that's weighty. To, to look at someone and say, if you don't know Jesus, if he has not saved you, if you have not been reconciled, you stand as a child of wrath. That's, that's weight. That's, that's hard. Because I don't know about you, but having conversations with people um, and we're just sharing what it means to follow Christ and who Christ is and what the good news, that's what gospel means, good news, what this good news is, you always get that question that kind of deflects. Like It's like, I'm getting uncomfortable. You're talking about me and my life a lot. So let's talk about other people. Let's talk about those innocent people that never heard in the other part of the world. Let's talk about those good people that just haven't had a chance to respond. What about those people? And I say, well, for the innocent and for the good, they get to go to heaven. But there are no innocent and there are no good. That's the problem. 
So Romans 5.12 says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and that one man was Adam in the beginning, in the garden. He transgressed. He rebelled against God. He did what he was not supposed to do. They partook of the forbidden fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. We have inherited our sin nature. It's been spread to all of us. We all have it. And I know we can get into semantics and think about, well, what about the the innocent and the child? And, And there's scriptures and different things where we know that God deals justly and righteously and he looks over those that uh, are truly, you know, children and innocent, and those are innocent and children of, of mentality. Think of uh, those with special needs and things like this. But we're talking about normal, in this moment, those who comprehend, who can understand. There is a moment where we develop and we grow and we understand right and wrong. You don't have to ever teach a child to sin. Did you know that? They just do it. <laughs> you don't ever have to teach them to disobey. They just do it. You know, it's, it's amazing. We have to teach people to do the right. We have to teach people to follow the good. We never have to teach them to follow the wrong. That's the sin nature. That's the human heart. That's the condition. So God has mercy and grace, and he overlooks those that are truly unable to respond But that's not most of us. Most of us get to a point, an age, where we understand right and wrong. We understand we are sinners. We do the wrong. And so for that, we realize that we have inherited what Adam has given to us, this sin nature. We need a rescuer. We need to be saved. All have sinned. Let's go back to our 2 Corinthians passage again. It says, we need to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He made him, talking about Jesus Christ, he made him, and, and don't just run over the wording, like let it just, just sink into your soul. He made him who knew no sin to be sin. He made him to be sin so that we could be saved. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Christ comes, fully God, fully man. He dwelled with the Father from eternity past, He was spirit before he took on flesh. He is the word of God, the living word who spoke in creation with the Father and with the Spirit. All things were made by him and through him. All things hold together in him. Without him, nothing is that has been made. All things are for him. And he breaks into our reality and takes on flesh. He comes and becomes like us, And he is sinless. 
He is without guilt. He does not have the sin nature that is passed from Adam to his sons because his father is God the Father. He's perfect. He's what Adam should have been. He is the last Adam. And he comes for one reason, to rescue us. He comes to reconcile you and me. So we look at that passage that says, be reconciled to God. Well, how do I do that? Well, this is the way. Through one who can bring reconciliation. Through one who brings forgiveness and brings new life. He bore our sin in his body on the tree. This morning, we're going to take communion together. We're going to remember what Christ did. And so when he went to the cross, he took the sins of the world upon himself, that all who would believe could be saved. His, his salvation can extend to any person at any place at any time through faith. And it's perfect. It covers all sin. And so he bore sin on the tree for us. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15 says this, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So here we see that we have a sin debt, that the wages of sin is death. Death entered the world through sin. We have a sin debt, and that is death. It has to be paid. The wage we have earned is our death, our spiritual death. We are dead in our trespasses. We cannot make ourselves alive. Someone must work on our behalf to make us alive, and that is God. We have transgressed against God, and we transgress against man. But our great transgression is primarily, first of all, against God, and he is the one who has to bring forgiveness. It's really popular in our culture today to say, you know, you just need to forgive yourself. <laughs> I wish I could, you know. I wish I could just say, I forgive myself, God, about all those things I did against you, so we're good now, right? Like, I'm at peace, so you should be okay with it. No. We transgressed against Almighty God, Holy, Holy, Holy God, Creator of the universe. Our sins are evil and horrible and wretched. And we can't just do enough or work enough or forgive ourselves enough. He has to bring that forgiveness. He has to reconcile us. He has to make us right. And so, how does he do that? He pays the penalty. The wage is there. Your death, my death. Separation from God. And he says, I'll take the penalty. On the cross, I will bear the weight of your penalty. 
So that's what he does. That's what Colossians says. It says he cancels the debt. So you have a, a bill, so to speak. You know, it's written out. Here's your certificate. Here's your debt. Here's what you owe. And he takes that and he nails it to the cross. And he this says, this is paid in full. We're paying for it here in this moment in time, at this place, with this blood, with this sacrifice. He cancels the debt. And look at this. It says that he triumphs over the authorities, the rulers. He disarms them. He puts them to shame openly. What does that mean? Well, we as children of wrath, not only do we follow our sin nature, but we follow the prince of the power of the air. We follow the schemes of the world. We, we become enamored with lesser things, and we go after lesser things and other idols and other gods, and sometimes we make ourselves an idol or a god. Well, he triumphs over all of those. He puts them to shame. He says, you are free from those things. You have victory over those things. You don't have to walk under the sway and the power of Satan anymore. You walked free. You are released. The captive is set free. The prison door swings open. We can come out and walk in the light of God, in the power of Christ. We can be new. We openly have victory. He put them to shame. He says the, the power and the claim that they have is gone. It, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, uh, have you ever had kids that, you know, they, they kind of get in, the, in their little arguments and tussles and different things, and, and whatever's going on, one's always like, I'm really upset about it, and then it gets taken care of, right? So an example is, uh, you know, some of the kids were playing, and and one was kind of bullying the other, and, and it kind of comes out like, hey, this kid's not acting nice. and that. So one of the parents comes in, and they're like, hey, you can't do that. This isn't right. And they set it right. Like, they, they make, make amends. They go through the whole deal. They reconciliation. But the one who was offended is still like, I'm still upset. I'm still upset. I'm still, and they're just holding on to all these different things, and, and they're going through it. And, and they're, they're trying to put a claim back on the other person. And then at some point, the parent says, you've got to get over this because this has already been made right. They've already said they're sorry. They've already had their punishment or whatever. Like, it's done. You're still talking about it, but this person's not going to get punished anymore. But they're like, but I just want to keep talking about it, you know, and they just keep wanting to bring that up. That's what Satan does. He's like, I want to just keep talking about it. I just want to keep bringing it up. I want to keep throwing it in your lap. I want to keep putting it in your face. Look how horrible you are. Look at your sin. Look how wretched you are. Look at this. Look at this. He just wants to keep bringing it up and stirring it up and put guilt on you and put a yoke on you that you're here, carry this weight and act like this and you should be downcast and you're no good. And then and he just keeps throwing all that weight on us. And Jesus says, why are you carrying any of that? Like that's been done. That's taken care of. And Jesus takes it off. And he says, this is mine. Actually, I took it at the cross, and since you're carrying it, you took it back from me. So give it back to me and let me have it, because you just stole from me. You stole all that guilt and shame and punishment and everything back. That's not yours. That's mine. Jesus takes it back, and he says, you're free. You have victory, and he looks at the enemy, and he says, you have no power over him because he's mine. You have no sway. You have nothing here. Openly, he triumphs over them. We have victory, and we can walk in that victory. We can walk in the newness of life. We can walk in the reconciliation and have joy. 
I think that's one of the things that the, that the world looks at the church and they say, I don't know, Christians seem to be downcast all the time. Like, we're just making it through. We're going to suffer. Jesus is coming. I'm going to, one day, one day it's going to be great. Not today, but one day. And they're like, well, why do I want that? Like, there's so many great TED Talks that just make me feel great, you know? It's like, I'll have to go follow that guy. No, like, we should be like, we are free. I have new life. I have a hope eternal. I have a Savior who loves me, who's put his affection on me and set me free, has reconciled me. I have new life because of what he has done. He's canceled my debt. Look at what it says in Isaiah 53. Verses 4 through 6 and verse 10, it says this. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. In verse 10, it goes on. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. What is the will of the Lord? That man would be reconciled. It was God's plan to crush the son. For you and for me. Those he created in his image who would be separated because of sin, he sent his son. That was the plan. Jesus, the son, will come and take the sin and be crushed. That's the Lord's will. So when you feel like, I don't know if God likes me. I don't know if God loves me. I don't know what, why would he? He has set his affection on mankind by sending us the Savior, by sending us a rescuer. He, that was his plan from the beginning, that one would come and reconcile us. From the foundations of the world, before Jesus even created with the Father and the Spirit, before all of that began, his will was set in motion, he would come. We experience his love. We can receive his love. We can be reconciled. When we feel like God doesn't love us, for, there's usually a couple reasons. One is maybe we feel far from God, and we might be. We might not have been reconciled, and we just feel like, oh, everything's bad. I don't know if God loves me. I don't know where is he. And we need to call out and say, God, I need you. Where are you? I need you to come into my life. I need to be reconciled. Or if we are reconciled and we're like, I don't know if God loves me, sometimes that's because how are you living? Are you living in sin? Are you living in the old ways? Are you living as the old man when you have been set free, when you can have victory over it? And sometimes we're walking in ways that we know don't please God and we're like, I don't know if God loves me and I don't know. It's like, well, we need to put off those things and be transformed and put to death those things. And sometimes we just listen to the enemy. All that stuff, 
Remember, he's the one who accuses, stands before. He goes up into the heavenly throne room and accuses you and me. That's what he does right now. He goes back and forth around the world, roaming around, looking for someone to devour. And then when he has an opportunity and he's called for an account before the Lord in heaven at different times and seasons, he's up in heaven and he's giving you know, the saints the what for. He's like, oh, they're so horrible, they're bad. You know, and Jesus says, paid for. And sometimes we listen to that voice. I don't know if God loves me. I don't know. You're listening to the accuser. Throw all that stuff back on you. And you need to give that back to Jesus. God has great love for humanity by sending the Son. He proves His love, that He so loved the world that He sent a Savior. And that was His will. From Genesis 3.15, we see it in the garden. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Talking about the Messiah, the one to come, will come and crush the head of the serpent. That's Satan who has come to kill, steal, and destroy. He will destroy the works of the devil. All the way back in Genesis at the fall, and we see in Revelation 13, verse 8, it says, and all who dwell on earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. The Lamb who was slain when? Before the foundation of the world. It was the plan of God from the very beginning to reconcile us, to call us back, to save. It's, it's, it's amazing to think about that. To think that God looked through history and said, I'm rescuing you. I'm coming for you. I'm pursuing you. And he calls us to himself. The Spirit opens our eyes to faith in the gospel. And we are saved. Other places where it's talking in this way about God's plan to rescue. John 17, 24 I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. The Father loved the Son, and what was the plan? To send the Son to reconcile man. The Father loves the Son, and when man is reconciled back, the way the Father loves the Son is the way he loves you and me. That same type of affection he puts on Christ when we become co-heirs and when we become children of God, the affection that Jesus receives from the Father is the same affection we receive from the Father. Yeah, he loves you. He loves you like Christ. He loves you with that type of an affection. In fact, he loves you so much he puts the Holy Spirit in you. He dwells in you, tabernacles with you. This, this is... What God does, and that was his plan. He loved Christ from the beginning, from the foundations. He loves us. First Peter 1.20 says this. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. Who? Christ. Before the foundations, he was foreknown, and he was made manifest. He came. He took on flesh. He was revealed, fulfilling all that God had said and all that God had planned before creation. Ephesians 1.4 says this, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He chose us to be holy and blameless before he created the world. That's what he wants for you. 
That's what Christ does. He makes you holy and blameless. He, re, he reconciles us. He, he recreates us. He makes us new. He, we're born again, and we're made holy and blameless. And that was the plan for man before the foundation of the world, that we would have a relationship with God and man would be holy and blameless and dwell with him. That's what he's doing. We see Revelation 17, verse 8. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction and the, dwell, and the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. Can you go back one slide just so we can get the bottom there? whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. I don't want to get into a whole Calvinism, Arminian, or free grace, or whatever debate up here. But here's the point. God looks through time, looks through history, and whether you want to say he elected or whether he foreknew it, he's put us in his book. He's creating and putting us in relationship with him, and he's reconciling us through Jesus. He's, he's, he's working on our behalf. You're starting this new year and already like God's working on your behalf. I got big things going on in my life. I got all these things juggling around. I got all these questions. I don't know what to do here. And I got new stuff happening here. And I got, I just, I look at the news and that just makes it worse. It's like, I have all these things. But look, God is working on your behalf. If he is for you, who can be against you? He's working on your behalf from the foundation of the world. Matthew 25, 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Not only is he working and doing this awesome work of salvation and, and making us new, what is he doing? He's preparing a kingdom, and who is he sharing this kingdom with? With you. You who have been reconciled, you who have come near, who have been made new, had your sins forgiven. There is a kingdom. He says, come and inherit the kingdom with me. Come, be with me. I have a place for you. But it just keeps getting better, right? It's like, oh, salvation is great. He's prepared the kingdom for you to inherit. You're co-heirs with Christ when you come and are reconciled. Back to our passage, 2 Corinthians 5, 20, 21. It says this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. So that we might become the righteousness of God. That we would be clothed in his righteousness. That we would be made new. Colossians 2, 12 says this, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. The spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the spirit that makes you new, that raises you from the dead. As you died with Jesus on the cross and he was buried, just as he was resurrected, you were resurrected to new life. You were made new. So we, we go into this next year as new men and women, redeemed men and women, saints of heaven, those who inherit the kingdom, those who have the affection of God on them, those who have been buried with Christ and raised with Christ. We 
have become the righteousness of God in Christ. So then we read something like Romans 8, 1 through 4, and we just, we just marvel and we're in awe and we just rejoice. Therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. There's no condemnation. Not guilty. That is the decree of the courtroom of heaven when you are in Christ. The penalty has been paid. You stand before the great judge. They open the books. He looks at it and he says, he is righteous, not guilty. Come inherit the kingdom. Is that your 2023? Is that what you're walking into this year? As redeemed sons and daughters? Or are you still needing to be reconciled? There's no condemnation for those who have been reconciled. And I love the end here. It says this, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We walk in accordance with the Spirit of God. Who knows the mind of God, but the Spirit of God? And who knows the heart of man, but the Spirit of God? And who is that intersecting link between the two? It's the Spirit of God. He's speaking to the Father. He's in us dwelling with us, speaking to our hearts and our soul, leading and guiding us, we walk as we listen to his voice, as he leads us. Yes, we can follow God by knowing the word of God. It's so important that we know his word. We know his revelation. This is, this is so edifying to our new life. We need it. It's like honey in the mouth. But if it's not in the Spirit, then it becomes legalism. It becomes following the law for the sake of the law. We become like Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees. If you raise your children to follow the letter of the law, and they do not know grace, they do not know God who gave the law to show us our need, if, if they learn to be a good boy, to be a good girl, you just do the rules, and if you do the rules, you're good enough. If that's what they learn, that's their spiritual life as well. They'll take that when they walk into the church, when they hear, you need the Bible, you need to follow the word of God, they'll say, just show me the words, give me the steps, let me do it. Okay, I'm going to church, check. I'm reading the Bible, check. I'm doing all these things. And then when someone says it's about a relationship, they go, huh? They're like, what is that? I'm doing it. Why? Because salvation to them is in their works. It's not in our works. It's by walking in the Spirit. It's being made new. Works follow. That's what James says to us. He says that faith without works is dead. There's a lot of people in the church with dead faith. They have no faith. They're just doing the works. They're trying to be good enough. They're pulling themselves up by their bootstraps. Is that your 23? Are you trying to pull yourself up by your bootstraps today? I would say submit to God and walk in the Spirit. 
Be filled with the Spirit. Be empowered by the Spirit. And the good works will follow. The sin will be put off. You will walk in liberty. He will give you victory. So here we can see that we can become the righteousness of God in Christ. He sets us free. He gives us new life. He makes us new men and new women. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Are you new? Or maybe you've been new and you feel like you're old again. <laughs> you know? It's like you go to the store and you see those products that kind of make their way around. Think about clothing in particular. Clothing has a way of circling back. You know, you look at your kids and they're wearing your grandparents' stuff and they're like, this is cool. <laughs> You're like, really? Like, soon you will be grandma and grandpa and they'll be asking for your clothes. Don't worry. But it comes back around. I think for many of us, we come to know Christ and we feel new. We're in that beginning stage, that love affair with the Lord. We just like, I just can't have enough of him. I want to read the Bible more. I want to be in the, in the fellowship with the saints. I just want to be around the things of God. I want to, I just, more and more. And we have that zeal. And, and what happens? You come into the church with that zeal. And sure enough, there's going to be that well-intentioned brother or sister in the Lord that's like, hey, you just need to settle down now. It's, it's, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Take your time. It'll be okay. Or that zeal will pass. It'll be fine. He'll figure it out. No, don't figure it out. Keep that zeal. You are new. Be new. You know, like, you, you don't wait for it to come back around again. But that's what we need. We need a, a quickening of the Spirit. We need a filling of the Spirit. We need to be walking in newness because we are new. I think we feel like we kind of graduate or we get to that place and it's like, ah, Christianity's not new anymore. It's like, I know these. This gospel truth should just, you should just marvel every time. Jesus did this for me. He saved my soul. He's made me new. I have a kingdom and inheritance waiting for me. I have the love of the Father in me. The Spirit indwells me. He, he talks to me. He walks with me. Love that We need to walk in the newness of life. Why or how? Can you unmute those slides of Romans 7? We, because we remember this. Romans 7, it says this, uh, verses 21 through 25. So I find to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another Law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Who will deliver me? When we remember our testimony, if you've lost that, that zeal for the Lord, that newness, go back to when God saved you. Just remind yourself of the moment the gospel made you alive. The, the things going on in your life. I know you can remember it. That's, that's, a, that's a seminal moment. That's a, I know when I say, do I know the date and the hour and all that? 
maybe not the date, but I know that moment. I can tell you it was on the beach, on a bonfire, around all these students when they were sharing the gospel, and I can remember the weight coming off and, and sharing with it. I can remember the responses of the people who didn't think I'd even received Jesus, and they're like, really? You want to receive Jesus? <laughs> I remember that moment like it happened yesterday. You want to be new. Remember the moment the gospel made you alive and walk in that zeal. What did you want to do in that moment? I wanted God. I wanted more Jesus. I wanted to know more than I already knew. I wanted to go in, in, in depth with him in all these areas of my life. I wanted to put off sin. I wanted to walk in righteousness that he has made me in Jesus. I wanted that. Who will save us? Christ. Praise be to God. He saves us. His affection is on you. Are we alive? <laughs> Galatians 3, 2 through 5. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? How did we begin this journey? By faith in the Spirit. So that's where we go. Back by faith in the Spirit, walking new. Colossians 3. He says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand. Seek the things above. Run after Jesus. Run after the King who is the lover of your soul, who is the rose of Sharon. Go after Him. Seek the things above. And the question then is, well then how do I seek it? How do I do that, Pastor? Like, I want to seek those things. What does that look like? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's January for us and it's a new year and we always start with, with prayer. But this year and last year we, did, we invited people into fasting and we had fasting and prayer last year. But this year we want to be more intentional with the fasting component. And we're doing prayer and fasting this year. How do we seek after the Lord? Seek Him in prayer. Seek Him in fasting. We're doing a 21-day fast. And, and what that looks like uh, could be different for each of us. Uh, but uh, what we're doing is we're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Matthew 5, 6 says this. Can you go to my Matthew slide? It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. As you hunger physically, as you thirst physically, it should prompt you to be hungering and thirsting for God, for righteousness. I'm putting off this activity. I'm feeling it in my body, and I'm coming after God. I'm seeking Him. I'm going after Him. I'm praying. I'm reading the Scriptures. I'm asking God to make these truths applied to my life. And He will do those things. He will. And He will speak. And He will talk to us. 
Where do we see this? We see it in Acts chapter 13 too. The church did this. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. So in worship and fasting, they get new direction. Sometimes in worship and fasting, God will give you that direction. He will say, set these people apart as well as he does here. Acts 14, 23, it says this, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Prayer and fasting for leadership. Man, that one convicted me. Because we institute our leadership in our churches. And the bridge is no exception. We, We find those who fill the scriptures, who do what they should. But do we take time to pray and fast and say, God, is this the one? Yes, they meet the qualifications. God, is this the one you would set apart for us? Is this the one? We need to pray and fast. We need to seek for our leadership. Prayer and fasting. Fasting changes us. This is what it does. Matthew 6, 16 through 18, Jesus says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Have you seen that? Oh, man. You're like, you see these guys on the sports field? You know? Hey, what's going on? Oh, I just had a great workout. Just, yeah, oh, yeah. Tell you, oh, it was brutal today. Our coach had a name for those. Those are, you had peakers and doers. The peakers are the ones like coaches watching, all of a sudden you're like, yeah, yeah. Or the coach looks over, it's like you're walking, the coach looks over, and he's not looking. Oh, God. You know, that's what Jesus is talking about. People fasting, they're doing it for them. That's their reward. By the way, if you're fasting for others to see that you're fasting, that you're, you got your reward. Congratulations. God's, God's looking at your heart. He's looking at the inner man, the inner woman. He's looking at what your desire is. If your desire is God, it's not for others. The fast isn't to be seen by others. It's not for you. It's for him. So Jesus says, don't, don't make yourself like the hypocrites. He says, truly I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you fast, he goes on, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. He will, re- he will reward you. He might reward you. He might talk to you. He might do something. I don't know. He if he feels like it, if the fast was good enough, if the fast was... No, it's the intention of the heart. If you come with the right intention and you're fasting, you're seeking him, he will reward you. He will answer you in some way. He will work in your life. He will bring good to you. Our Heavenly Father is a good Father. He gives good gifts. He will rewards you. It changes us. What it does is it makes our heart have the right posture before God. It makes us have our eyes fixed on him. It makes us have that song that we sang have more angst in it when we're singing, oh God, my God, I need you. I need you now. But then when I leave my inner room, I wash my face, I, 
and I go about my business and I do what I'm supposed to do and no one's the wiser. It's between me and God. 21 days, what are you seeking God for? What do you need God for in these next 21 days, this month? We're praying for the church, but what are you praying for, for yourself? What is that reward that you're asking God, come, show up in my life and bring this good reward? I need this transformation. I need this answer. I need this wisdom. I need this blessing. I need this truth. I need from you and you alone. What are you coming to him for? Now, there's different types of fasting. But we're, we're talking about a 21-day uh, Daniel fast that's online. So can you bring up that uh, slide that has the days and times? So you can go to thebridgewire.com. There's the website on the bottom there. And you can find about fasting, about the Daniel fast, and find information. That is a fast from choice foods. So if you're like, I just can't go without food, or this is to help you to, to not walk in the, the choice foods of this world. Like Daniel said, I'm not going to eat certain things. I'm not going to have those those pleasures at the dinner table. Instead, I'm going to change my diet. And I'm going to seek after God. And, and so there's a way to do that, and there's a way to follow his example in the scriptures, and you can find that on the website. And as we have a month of prayer, as we're seeking him in prayer and fasting, these days, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Saturdays, with those times there, someone will be here at the church you can come and be encouraged and pray. I know Amy Rybacki, our deaconess of prayer, is planning to be here at those times throughout uh, the 21-day fast, and, and there will be others, I'm sure. So if you can come during those times, come and pray together. Seek the Lord together. Find times to, to, to be encouraged and, and, and there are times that God speaks through one another in those moments of prayer. He has a word for you. He has a scripture for you. He has encouragement for you through not just as the Spirit talks in the scriptures, but through one another. He gave us to each other, the church. He uses you and me to encourage. So if you can come and be encouraged during those times and say, I'm praying for these things or I'm praying with you for those things that you need, Monday, that Wednesday, that Saturday, those are times that people will be here worshiping and praying. You can go through other types of fasts. In the scriptures, there's an absolute fast. Esther and Saul did it. Uh, they, those were three days. No food, no water. Uh, there's a food fast that's in Second Chronicles. The king did it with, uh, with uh, all the people when they were under siege. They, they fasted. Uh, Ezra chapter 8, he fasted. Uh, that was from food, only having water during their time of fast. We're talking about a Daniel fast from choice foods. There's even a, a times in scriptures where, where husbands and wives fasted from having intimate relationships with each other so they could seek the Lord in prayer. You see that in Exodus 19. God said, as you as a people are getting ready to come and meet me on Mount Sinai, he says, husbands and wives, 
I don't want you to have relationships with each other. I want you to prepare yourself to meet with me. Be focused on me. It says the same thing in 1 Corinthians. There's times where husbands and wives say, for the sake of what we're asking God for in our lives, we're going to to not be intimate with each other, but we are going to spend that time praying for what we're seeking God for in our lives and then come back together. There's other types over the years that have been introduced, you know, technology, fasts, and all that other stuff. I want to encourage you, though, to really consider the Daniel fast because there's something unique about denying the flesh when we fast. We see it in Scripture, and we see how God works in it. So pray, is that what God's calling you to do? Would he call you into fasting this year? We call you into, into taking this, this, <laughs> this challenge. Yeah, if you're one of those people that this can't go without a challenge, like you have to answer a challenge, I challenge you to take the fast, all right? There you go. I dare you to do it. Maybe you're that kid. I double dog dare you to do it. Oh, the double dog dare. On the website, uh, gotquestions.org, they have some things on there that I like to read from time to time. Uh, It says this about fasting. The theology of fasting is a theology of priorities in which believers are given the opportunity to express themselves in an undivided and intensive devotion to the Lord and to the concerns of spiritual life. It's the theology of priority. Is God your greatest priority? In 2023, is he your greatest priority? So that's, that's leading us to communion. As we think about all that God did for us, all that Christ did for us, his body broken for us, his, sh- his blood shed for us so that we can be new, there's still more. He's calling us into deeper relationship. So as you get ready to come and receive the Lord's table this morning, the question is, what are you asking God for? Take a moment and say, God, what would you have me pray for? If you don't know, ask, God, what do you want me to be praying for? What do you want to be doing in my life? He'll tell you. He'll show you. And then come with joy knowing that Jesus paid the full penalty for your sin at the cross, that you are set free. Will you stand with me? Worship team, will you come up? Father, we thank you. We thank you for new life in Christ. We thank you for a new year. God, as you give us this opportunity to come and just worship at the table. Spirit, we ask that you would show us what you would ask us to be praying about this year. What are you calling us into? Where are you transforming? Where are you changing? And God, we also bring to you some deep need. Oh God, we need you. Will you come and meet us in that place? So as we take up 21 days of fasting and praying for the church. God, we just want to do that with a spirit of worship, a spirit of thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. The Bridge Bible Church stands to exalt the name of Jesus. We seek to be a community that gives glory to Christ above all things and welcomes all people to join us in worshiping him. If you don't have a church home, consider visiting ours. We are ordinary people who want to live life with authentic faith. 
For more information on how to get connected, deepen your faith, and experience what God has for you, please visit our website at thebridgewire.com.